So we've been laying a foundation over the last few months for Renewal Church. We want to have our hearts truly knit together, have our arms locked together and be heading in the same direction. We've been considering all kinds of different themes and topics. We, the last two weeks, talked about our core values and then discussed those in our home groups. And so this morning we'll talk about prayer because prayer is truly the foundation We cannot accomplish anything of eternal value in ourselves, in our own strength. So it has been just such a privilege to to be a part of what God is doing right here through this faith family. We just have to be very clear. It's it's not in our strength or our abilities or, or our ingenuity. And so what is prayer? If you have your notes You see there that we're going to talk about the centrality of prayer in the Bible. So I want to just briefly go through the whole Bible and just hit a few... No, I'm serious. You're laughing at me. (laughs) I said brief overview. This is like blimp view. But I do want to show you how the, the centrality of prayer in the Word and so how God is accomplishing everything of eternal value, He is of eternal value, and what He is accomplishing in, in re, well, first creation, and then in redemption, you will see that prayer is central to all of it. So He is creating a people that are fallen in sin, and He is recreating them, making them new, giving them His Spirit, and calling them to reflect His glory to the world, And at the center of this divine plan is prayer. So you see it in Genesis. And really, that's a long series in of itself. But the patriarchs with with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, over and over, you see the patriarchs praying. You see them communing with God in conversation with God directly and regularly praying. If you follow the storyline, you get to Exodus and you see Moses And you see, Moses was a man that prayed regularly. And so he was consistently in God's presence, talking to God. And I'll give you one example. In Deuteronomy 4, 7, he describes prayer as a gift. A gift that sets God's people apart from all the other nations, people who don't know God. And so Moses says, well, what makes God's people different? They pray. And have a God that hears him. He says, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? So he says, There's no nation like, like God's people because we have a God we can call upon him and he, he hears us. And if you continue the storyline with then, of course, Joshua, they establish, um, the, the nation and the promised land, and then you have this era of judges, and you have Samuel, who is the leading figure in that era. And the prophet Samuel says that prayer was, was essential. So Samuel says in 1 Samuel 12, 23, he says, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And so as the spiritual leader of God's people in, in this era of, of the conquest and of the judges, you have Samuel, he says that it is a sin if he doesn't pray for the people of God. And so failure to pray, 
I think sometimes we think, oh, it's just like breaking a religious rule or something. But it's not. Failure to pray is failure to treat God as God. And so he calls it a sin here. And then, of course, you know, after Samuel, he he's the one that anointed King David. And so when King David was then ruling, he wrote, most of the Psalms, and the Psalms are God's inspired book of prayer. So that's what the Psalms really are. It's prayers. David was constantly crying out to God. He was a very emotional chap. But he was, he was an artist. He was musical. Like, that's just normal for him. He was poetic. But he did. He prayed all the time, and it's recorded in the Psalms. You have his son, King Solomon. He prayed regularly, and you even have in 1 Kings chapter 8 a, a record of Solomon praying before God's people at the temple's dedication that, that he built. So you even have this lengthy prayer that's recorded. And then you also have Job as someone who you see, if you read the book of Job, you know what you see? You see one person struggling with life, with the reality of pain and disappointment, and yet you see him constantly in prayer and just working out all of his struggles in prayer is really what you see in Job. And, and if you read the prophets, all of them, all the prophets from Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, men of prayer, even the non-writing prophets like Elisha and Elijah, you see them talking to God and hearing from God constantly. And so men of prayer... I mean, you have Daniel to name one of the prophets. He was almost eaten by lions because of what? Prayer. He wouldn't stop praying. And so he almost got executed because he wouldn't stop praying. So the prophets, you see prayer throughout. And then, of course, you have the exile and God's people because they weren't faithful get sent to Babylon, but then through Nehemiah, when the exiles return, and also with Ezra, you have Nehemiah who was leading and rebuilding the walls of, of Jerusalem, and you see a man who is dedicated to prayer. Read about Jeremiah, everyone talked about, oh, he's a great leader. Well, he, he was a great leader, but if you read closely, you will see why, because he was a man of prayer. He prayed, and so he had them rebuild, but on the foundation of prayer. And then if, and if you keep following the storyline, of course, Jesus comes 400 years later, and, and what do you see? You see man of prayer. Jesus would constantly get away and be secluded to pray, to enjoy the Father's presence. He would pray for His disciples. When, when Satan wanted to get Peter, what did Jesus say? That He did what for Peter? That He prayed for him. So he constantly prayed for his disciples. He he modeled how to pray. We'll look at that this morning in a few minutes. But he even taught us how to pray. And even hanging on the cross, what did Jesus do? Still praying. Constantly in communion with God and walking in the Spirit. And then Jesus, of course, dies, is resurrected. And, and then 40 days later, what happens? God's people, it says in Acts 1 and 2, that they were dedicated to prayer. And they were in this room all together, and they were praying. And then the Spirit of God comes and descends upon them in the middle of a prayer meeting. And so what you have is just remarkable, is this church explodes and is 
planting and you're seeing people come to faith and transform by the Spirit of God. And you see in Acts more emphasis. Read Acts 2. It says that they were devoted to prayer and to the apostle teaching, so to the word. And then you fast forward even to Acts chapter 6. When, when now we have new servants that are leading because the apostles were dedicated. Now the apostles point to the ministry of elders and pastors dedicated to the ministry of prayer and the word. So you see this over and over and over from Genesis to Revelation. And we'll look here later this morning, even in Revelation, how God is accomplishing his purposes through prayer. So we need to arrive at a definition. So clearly prayer is central to how God is accomplishing His purposes and displaying His glory. But you know what's interesting about prayer? The Bible talks about prayer as we're seeing over and over and over and commands us to pray without ceasing. So it describes it, it illustrates it, it commands us to pray, and yet the Bible never defines it. Did you know that? The Bible never gives you a definition of prayer. It's just describing prayer. And prayer takes on many different shapes. It can be quite varied. Prayer can be formal, right? Prayer can be casual. Prayer can be quiet. But some people pray loud, right? Prayer can be loud too. It can be peaceful. It can be intense. Prayer can be long. Or it can be brief, like, Jesus help me, whenever you're at ACB with your children, and you're going crazy, um, and you're that's, that's still praying. Now that's a 911 prayer. That, that's an emergency prayer, and I hope that our prayers are not just the crisis prayers. But, but it can be brief. Prayer can be very private. It can be public. Prayer can be a crying out in pain. To God, again, read the Psalms. But prayer can also be crying out in victory. Again, read the Psalms. It's, it's both. Prayer is the expressing of your desperation for God, and your dependence on Him. But it's also a expressing sometimes just deep gratitude. And sometimes it's, it's so deep, you almost don't even have the words. And Romans 8 describes the Spirit that in those moments when you just don't even have the words. The Spirit intercedes for us. Prayer is a, a yearning to see God's kingdom come. To see people that repent of their sins and confess in Jesus as the King and become members of the kingdom of light and are no longer in darkness. And so a prayer, Jesus, establish your kingdom. Jesus, use us here and now. So there's many different ways and different forms of prayer, but at its essence, prayer is, this is not that complicated, I think we know this as believers, prayer is communication with God, is communing with God, as Jesus said, abiding in Him. So in prayer, we listen to and we speak to God. So it's it's a conversation, it's relationship. It's the way that we express this relationship. It's communication. It's personal communication. Prayer is the means that we experience the presence of God and it really leads to deep joy. Which is why Paul says, pray without ceasing 
Because he's talking about having this continual, ongoing, walking in the Spirit where you have your time of, of, of prayer that's maybe more formal, but you, you are thinking about Him and you're in conversation with Jesus throughout your day as you're experiencing His presence. And so this is just an ongoing relationship and communication with God. And Jesus modeled prayer for us. Again, He didn't even define it. That's so beautiful. He said, here's what it is. Here's how you do it. So Matthew chapter 6 gives us the model of how to pray. Matthew 6. Let's begin reading the first few verses before the actual prayer. Verses 5 through 8 that sets up the prayers. Matthew 6 verses 5 through 8. And when you pray, let's just stop there. He doesn't say if. He says when. Because he's assuming if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have His Spirit, you will pray. But he says, but here's how you do it. So when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Man, you're seeing here that prayer is not a performance. Prayer is not a religious ritual. Prayer is about a personal, meaningful conscious, so you can't be asleep in praying, okay? It doesn't work. You can be asleep, <laughs> but you're not praying. And so praying is a personal, meaningful, conscious communication with God. So, guys, if you're talking to your wife and you fall asleep, ever done that? Don't don't raise your hand. I've done it more than I care to admit. Um, not in recent years, but when I was a much younger, less wise man, I... I was guilty of falling asleep. And I can tell you, and she can attest to this, the moment that you are no longer conscious, the communication is over. You're no longer talking. It's done. And so staying awake, like sitting up, is more helpful than trying to talk laying down. But that's a, that's a, that's a freebie for you guys, all right? Point is here that he's saying it's a conscious, intentional communication. It's it's about a meaningful connection with God. So it's enjoying His presence. It shows dependence on God. He says, God knows what you need. We need Him. And our Father knows our every thought and concern and worry and care. And He says, it's not a show. Just go and enjoy God in private. And then He tells us how to do it. Verses 9-15. through He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Those last two verses are, are comments on 
how people that have received the mercy of God are people who now extend it. Those of us that have received forgiveness ought to be quick to extend that forgiveness. Verses 9-13 through 13 are very important, and I want to look at those. There's a lot in these texts, but we have only so much time that we want to focus on verses 9-13. through 13. He actually prays for six things, if you break it down. Verses 9 and 10, Jesus says, here's how he prays. He says, one, he prays, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So he says, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. He, that's the first three. And then verses 11, 12, and 13, there's three more. Second part, he says, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, and lead us unto temptation. So the first half, if you think of it, so there's two halves to this. And the first three requests are about God's glory. So he says, it's about His kingdom, His name, His will. That's what he starts off praying. For the glory of God, he says, God, your name be glorified, your kingdom come, your will be done. So His name, His kingdom, His will. So the second half is about our needs, who we are in relation to God. So he says, it's our food, our need for forgiveness, and our need for holiness, to be delivered from our temptations and our struggles with sin. So it starts off with who God is and who we are, who God is and what our desperate need for Him is. So prayer always begins with the glory of God. It's about Him and His kingdom, His name, His purposes, and then we respond to Him saying, God, I am desperate for You. I need You for my physical needs, my daily bread. I need You to forgive me because I fail. And I need freedom. I need your deliverance from my temptations. And so you see this major difference between the first half and the second half. What he's saying when he says hallowed, that refers to God's name being revered or or respected. So it refers to saying, God, cause your great and holy name to be honored and valued and treasured above everything else, beginning in my heart. And so when he says, hallowed be your name, he says, beginning in my own soul, deep inside of me, will I treasure you. And so this is, this is framing how we should pray, right? How we should first pray, Jesus, I want to treasure you more, value you more than anything else that this world has to offer. And then he talks about kingdom. He's saying, establish your kingdom here. May, may I and those around me submit to your authority. But do it with joy. Like, we want to follow God. And then he says, you will be done on earth because the angels all obey. So he's saying, just like in heaven, just like the angels obey you, may here we obey you. Now, is it just me? Maybe it is just me, but does life sometimes seem kind of mundane? Kind of, kind of like really ordinary? Like you kind of get up and guys, you shave. If you're me, not every day. Praise God. Um, I don't have a job that requires that, so I'm thankful for that. But maybe, you get up and you shower and you get dressed, you go to work and you do the same thing you did yesterday and then you get home and you cook or you clean or you wash dishes and it's just like, 
it just feels like so ordinary. And then one more Saturday of let's clean the house, kids. And the kids are like, oh, I don't want to clean the house. I was like, but we need to because it's our house. And it's just, we do this together. And it's just like normal. Kind of like sometimes even boring. Can you use that word? Maybe not boring, but at least ordinary or just so common. And what's so remarkable here is you, you see Jesus praying and he's talking about like these lofty things, like God's kingdom and his glory. And it's like, man, my life feels just so ho-hum sometimes. And yet when we pray, what you're doing is like you're infusing the divine into your ordinary life. Does that make sense? It's like we have to realize that our lives have eternal value and significance. Like we talked about in our home groups just last week, and I had the joy. I, I like to visit all of your groups, and I was in in, in the Criters, um, Kenya's group this week, and one of the discussion questions was about do we truly believe that God wants to use us, all of our flaws, to impact eternity? And I hope that when you were considering that in your homes, that that was a good conversation, because the goal is for us to realize that the answer is yes. God actually, for real, this is not just pie in the sky, wishful thinking, religious crutch to get you past your days. No, this is real. There is a real God and there is a real enemy and there is a real kingdom of light and there is a real king on his throne named Jesus and we are his subjects and we are his representatives on this earth and when we follow him, we are impacting the eternity of souls. Beginning with our own in our family and those that by God's grace we will reach for the praise of His name. Our lives have eternal value and what we think and how we live and what we do, even how we keep our home, everything about our lives we're seeing in Jesus' prayer is about the glory of God. And it gives great value and encouragement that wherever you're at, whatever we're doing has eternal value. It really does. And so prayer is just beautiful. You're bringing God into the everyday like stuff of your life. And it makes it so much more meaningful. God's purpose in prayer. So why pray? Next here on your notes. Because prayer displays the glory of God. Thinking, well, how exactly does that happen? Well, I have two key words there in your notes. There are two words we can ponder on how God's glory is displayed through prayer in our daily lives. One word is communion, and the second one there is kingdom. And so communion. See, a lot of believers have faith in Jesus that is really just intellectual or maybe like outwardly religious. And a lot of people in churches, and I'm not saying in this room, but I'm just being generic for a second. A lot of people, man, they're just trying to fake it. And they're trying to present this this public you know, persona, perception that I'm whole, I've got it all together, and I'm healthy spiritually, when in actuality that person may have very little affection for Jesus, and what they enjoy is the, the religious nature of the meetings and and the pursuit of the knowledge that is of the Bible, and so they love everything about Jesus and church and religion and the structures, and yet they don't have a passionate love and affection for Jesus himself. 
And what prayer does, it exposes all of those insecurities and all of our temptations. And we come face to face with the one who knows it all. He knows all of your flaws. He knows all of your thoughts. He knows all of your struggles. He knows it all. Your motivations, he knows. And yet, this is the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of our God. He knows it all, and he still loves you. And desperately wants you near. If this doesn't humble you, I don't know what will. (laughs) To be fully known and loved and treasured. And when we pray, all of those facades, they just come down and we spend time with a God who knows us and loves us and wants us to know Him. See, because God's purpose for His people is not more outward, external religion. Jesus already condemned that right before He says how to pray. He's like, don't be like the hypocrites who only pray in public. Um, if we only pray in public, then we'll be like the Pharisees. The whole point is that having an ongoing relationship with Him, so God's purpose is for us to know Him, to treasure Him, to worship Him with everything that we are. And he's given us prayer as the means to help accomplish our purpose. So prayer is going beyond the intellectual knowledge of God. Hear me. So prayer takes us beyond just the intellectual or cerebral knowledge of God and actually experiencing the presence of God. The difference of knowing about God and actually knowing Him personally. And prayer is what leads us into this knowing Him personally. And so prayer is not primarily about what we can get from God. Prayer primarily is that we get more of God. That we get Him. And so at its essence, prayer is a recognition of God's greatness, a submission to Him, acknowledging we're dependent on Him. And so it's encountering the living God. This is what prayer is. We encounter Him. And it's in His presence that our soul is healed and our attitudes are changed and we get freedom from our enslaving idols. It's through prayer, it's through time with God, it's in His holy, sanctifying, liberating presence. So prayer is communion with God. And so, of course, that is a display of His glory. The other key word here is kingdom. Talking about God purpose in prayer, you have communion, and then you have kingdom. So God has designed prayer to be the means, so hear me, it's the means, it's the way in which He accomplishes His sovereign purposes in our lives. And so God has a plan, and no man can thwart, no man can stop His purposes, and yet, in this divine mystery, He uses prayer as the means to accomplish those ends, those purposes. The establishing of His kingdom in the world and in our hearts is through the power of prayer. So let me show you why I say that. Revelation 5. So towards the end of God's plan, you see 
there's a description there of how Jesus is establishing his kingdom and consummating his plan. Revelation 5 describes a scroll. And this scroll describes his plan of all of human history. And so it's in his hand. Like Jesus is literally holding human history that he is orchestrating to its final appointed end, which is people bowing down before King Jesus. And in Revelation, he's bringing that plan to consummation, to its conclusion. And Rome, I mean, sorry, Revelation 5, 8 describes it as golden bowls full of incense. And so picture this aroma, incense, you know, that smells really well. Um, I lived in the Middle East for several years with, with the family, and I, I understand firsthand what this incense is. Ever been around Arabs, you'll know this. Like, you walk in the mall and you're hit with the aroma because every other store is selling it. And it's, it's at times overwhelming and every house has it. Uh, and my um, olfactory glands really weren't used to it at first, but they somewhat adjusted towards the end when my allergies weren't bothering me. But that's because I'm a fallen human. But I can tell you that with God, this is not affecting his allergies. He's not sneezing. He's enjoying it. This is aroma. This is an incense that is... So the prayers are described. It says, bowls full of incense. Now here's the incense, which are the prayers of the saints. You hear this? You hear this? That when you pray, God takes that prayer and He puts it in His this cosmic golden bowl. And He's collecting your prayers. Every one of them, from every saint that has ever lived, now or will live until he comes back, he's collecting your prayers in this golden cosmic bowl. And when, when he smells it, it's fragrant. And it brings him joy. And he loves to just smell the prayers of his people who love him and yearn for him and are crying out for him. And then what's, what's, if that, if that isn't just amazing enough that he's collecting these, these prayers in this golden bowl and, and it blesses him as he smells this aroma, you go to chapter eight and the first few verses, verses three through five, describe these bowls being filled. Like these bowls are completely full of all the prayers of God's people. And then it describes it as like metaphorical language, but it describes as he's defeating the enemy and he is establishing his kingdom. He's saying your prayers matter because he's pouring out the bowl on the earth and he's accomplishing his purposes. Do you, do you get this picture? That God is accomplishing his purposes for eternity through your prayers. And your prayers release the power of God. This is what we're a part of. Like, can we possibly be more privileged to be created in God's image and loved by Him and we, we have His Spirit in us and then He says, pray. Come and enjoy me. Depend on me. Ask. I'm your Father. I know what you need. Just ask. Ask away. And then He uses those same prayers that 
that he's blessed just just smelling them to accomplish his purposes. And so what you see here is no prayer, no power. No prayer, no victory. No prayer, no change. But when we pray, the power of God is released. And I pray that Renewed Church will be a church that prays. That we will pray individually, that we will pray in our home groups, that we will pray soon as we meet in our discipleship relationships and discipling groups, that we will be a praying people. We're to pray the Bible. There's a lot more to be said, but our time is running out. Pray the Bible. Let me give you two brief examples about this in your notes. One is the book of Psalms, and another one is the Apostle Paul's prayers. I read this book when it first came out a few years ago, and it has been really helpful. It's called Praying the Bible by Donald S. Whitney. So if you want to infuse fresh life into your prayer life, I encourage you to buy this small, very insightful book, Donald S. Whitney, Praying the Bible. Um, he describes a beautiful way of, of going to say the Psalms as an example. And as you're reading the Psalms, you're praying. So that way the Bible is guiding your prayer. Because otherwise what can happen is our prayers can get very monotonous or rote. And Jesus says, no vain repetitions. And so we can be guilty of that. And so rather than have these repetitious prayers that we're not even really communing with God, by letting the Bible guide our prayers, it will be far more beneficial. And so, I mean, you can pick any psalm and do this. But here, let me give you just one brief example of how this might work. You could go to example to say um, Psalm 37. That's just an example. And it says, so do not fret because of evildoers. And so if you are praying and there is someone or some situation in your life that you feel like, man, there is just something evil that is happening. Well, well, that can guide your prayers or God can bring to your mind something or someone to pray for because of that. And then, for example, in verse 3, it says, trust in the Lord and do good. And so that's guiding your prayers. And now you can say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you in this situation. I'm going to trust you with this situation. And so now because that psalm is talking about trusting in the Lord, now you're praying. And then and you can say, well, I'm going to pray for my spouse or my children or my church or whatever it is. And then it says, delight yourself in the Lord. And so you pray, okay, Lord, how have I not been delighting in you? And then you pray about confessing of what it is you're delighting in. And then reaffirm your, commi- your commitments. Verse 4, commit to the Lord. And so then you can pray about your commitments. And so point is that as you're just reading the Bible, it's leading your prayers. And how much better is it to pray with the word in hand? Because remember, prayer is God talking to you and then you responding back, talking back to him. And so this, this conversation, God's word speaks. And then you can just sit quietly and just meditate. Just, just be still. Let His Spirit speak to you and hear from Him. And then you respond as you, as you speak, as He's leading you. And so there's this beautiful way to pray as, as the Word 
can guide us. And if you want a place to start, I put there the Apostle Paul's prayers in Philippians 1, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Colossians 1, several places where you have prayers that the Apostle Paul prayed for fellow believers. And those can even be a guide. Pray according to that. Of course, you can use Jesus' prayer like we just read. That's obviously the model. Point is, let the Word guide your prayer as you spend time with God. And a simple model I put there for you is P-R-A-Y, pray. The P stands for praise. Just like Jesus started praying, says, Father, hallowed be your name. So praising God. And so when we pray, start off with, with the P. So pray, praise. And so praise God. And then the R is repent. As Jesus says, forgive us. And so we repent. And then A is ask. What Jesus said, give us as their daily bread. And so we can make our requests known to God. And then why is yield? Your kingdom come, your will be done. And so praise, repent, ask, yield, pray. Simple acronym following Matthew 6 and Jesus' model prayer to help us as we pray to not just be this vain repetition, but really biblically enjoying the presence of God. As we close, I have a verse there, Romans 12, 12, on persevering in prayer. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. We rejoice because we have hope in Christ. And He gives us strength when we're facing difficulties, tribulation. And we are a people that are constantly in prayer. So may we be a church that draws near to our God. And prayer is a foundation because prayer is the means that God accomplishes purposes. And so if if we're going to plant this church that God's calling us to do, if we're going to reach people and marvel and praise God for all that He has done, then it'll be through prayer.